welcome back to the Brazos Point Living Room. We have got the three amigos back together again as we continue our journey with Jesus through the Gospel of John. This week is called You Know Nothing. You Know Nothing. <laughs> uh, we'll find out what happens in John chapter 11. So, first question to you guys. Have you ever attempted to do something good that ended up backfiring or going wrong? <laughs> Michelle's got a pretty current one. It's not that current. It was years ago. Um, <laughs> like two. <Current. laughs> so I don't remember. It was it was intended to be a next step with God. Um, I think. <laughs> kind of. I got to hear it now. I think we, um, it's when we had been talking a lot about praying for one and starting our day off, um, asking God to put somebody in our paths that day that we could share his love with and, you know, maybe do something to start building a relationship with somebody in roads to have a faith conversation, you know, pray for one. And so I had been convicted that I hadn't left much margin in my life to where I would even recognize having this pray for one person put in my path, much less stopping to take the time to engage. So that was what was on my mind and heart. And one day on my way to work, um, I was driving and I was still in a neighborhood and there was a dead dog on the side of the road. <laughs> and I drove past it because was what I do. Pray for one? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. I drove past it and was like, oh, that's sad. Somebody's probably not knowing where their dog is. And, um, you know, I wonder how long it'll take them to find that their dog is dead on the side of the road. And or I, worse, if a vulture carried it away and they'd right. never know. And so I, I'd seen the dog's collar. I also am not a dog person. I'm allergic. So, like, even if I see a dog situation happening, I usually don't intervene because... You yeah. don't care. So, anyway, <laughs> kept driving and then felt impressed. Like, maybe this is a chance to meet somebody who the dog belongs to and whatever. So, I went back and I got out of my car and I was looking at the dog, not really knowing what I was going to do with this Big, dead little, dog. medium. Little, 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 like I could have cradled it. <laughs> um, and a lady had come out of her house and was bringing her trash out. And I said, is this your dog? And she said, no, it's not. But I know that he belongs to a guy that lives over there. And, you know, the house was across the street and down a little bit. And so... Um, I think I went to that house's door and an older-ish man came out and I was like, hey, is this your dog out here? And he was like, no, but he's my son's. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So then the son, I was like, well, I'm going to go back over there. So the son comes out and I was like, and he's upset because it's his dog and his dog is dead on the side of the road. And I was like, hi, is this your dog? And he was like, yeah. Did you kill my dog? <laughs> and I was like, no, no. I was on my way to work. I was driving and I, I saw him. And he was like, so you ran over my dog? And I was like, no, I just wanted to make sure his owners knew. Well, okay, I'm going to go to work now. Bye. <laughs> so it backfired because I had to spend a few minutes defending myself that I had not, in fact, killed his dog. After laboring to find the victim. To, I mean, blame. to be fair, that's kind of weird to begin with. 
Like, who shows up unless you hit his dog? <laughs> I don't know. A good Samaritan neighbor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Joseph, I was thinking about you, and you had a kind of a similar situation where you were being a good dad. You buried your kids, what, hamster? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I did not know you were going this. Uh, yeah, I don't hit dogs. Um, <clears throat> Neither do I. <laughs> so, my kids my wife's a teacher and she has a a class pet which is a hamster named midnight and one day it died and my kids were really sad and they came to work one day uh, and said uh dad midnight's died can we bury him at the church (laughs) because my kids think this is where you bury everything uh and and (laughs) Uh, so I was like, okay, I had no preparation. I literally found a shovel in my work clothes and dug a two, f- maybe even one and a half foot deep hole. Oh, you went pretty deep for a yeah. hamster. Yeah. Put them in a little crayon box, like a plastic supply box, buried them, had a little funeral and then covered it up. And a week later after church, my kids go, dad, we want to go see where midnight was. And I was like, okay, let's go. And they ran all the way down by the pond and I was definitely a few steps behind them. And before I got there, I saw the little red plastic supply <laughs> box on the surface. I go, oh no, no midnight, no. And so my <laughs> kids, my kids were confused. They had no idea what had happened, and I knew immediately a hog had come up, dug it up, eaten it. And my kids were like, "What happened?" And I just said, "Girls, he's alive." <laughs> After three days, he's back. <laughs> So Michelle was actually going Lazarus hamster. You're going Jesus hamster. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I came up with some excuse, but they... Uh, so that really backfired on you is my point. It really did. I was trying to do a good thing. Fast forward this past week, we lost a hamster at our house, <laughs> and I just put it on the curb with the week's trash. In fact, I just cleaned it out, bedding and all. Hamster was dead in the bedding, and I just dumped the Which whole thing. One? Which kid's hamster? Yeah. Callie's. His name was uh, Homie. Was she bummed? Yeah, bummed. That's a good word for it. <laughs> like, eh, eh. Get another one. Yeah. No, we're not. We're out. We're done. No. Oh. Well, if you, we are animal lovers here, except for Michelle. All <laughs> <laughs> yeah. our stories revolve but, around. I don't kill them, but I don't love them. But if you want to bury your animals at the church, you need to, you know, come have a conversation with us. Don't, don't please, just start. Please yeah. Please don't please don't. Yeah. yeah. We're not gonna turn this place into a pet cemetery. <laughs> You need some professional equipment, apparently. Oh, well, uh, the reason we're talking about that is I think the idea that no good deed goes unpunished that you may have heard before. Um, and and I think the reason we're talking about it is because Jesus just did something incredible and miraculous. He has brought Lazarus back from the dead, but it's turned out to be a polarizing event. It's led people to believe in him more, and it's caused people to turn against him for good. And even though the religious leaders claim to follow God, they have seen enough of Jesus and they have begun to actively plot to kill him and kill their Messiah. So I have us reading John 11 and a few verses here. In verse 48, it says, if we let him go on like this, talking about Jesus, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away our temple and our nation. And so they are actively plotting against Jesus, and they're saying, if if he keeps going on like this, and we don't get in his way, everyone will believe in him, and the status quo will be changed, is really what they're saying. And so my first question is, what has captured the loyalty and the love of the religious leaders more than God 
and what are they willing to sacrifice to keep it? Yeah, so what's captured their their loyalty and their love is clearly their temple and their nation, mm-hmm. you know? And and what's crazy about that is the irony of, one, the temple is supposed to be about God, not about them. Mm-hmm. It's the place where his presence dwells and they get to commune with him. And then, two, even their nation is really not so much about them as it is about their their God and, mm-hmm. and their their relationship to God, their, them being the chosen people and, and the people of the promise. And so, man, they've, they've lost that and their identity has been shifted and placed into the thing of God rather than, you know, mm-hmm. in their connection and relationship to God. Um, and, and you can see, man, they are, they are loyal to it, extremely loyal mm-hmm. to it. I think what's interesting is you can read that verse and feel like maybe there's some good in their intentions, but what Greg points out is that they recognize that what Jesus is doing is miraculous. And what they're trying to preserve is not this faith community, it's not the temple, it's its their hold on the power. Mm-hmm. Their and status. The, yeah, and... it's, it's them. And so they're just, they recognize what Jesus is doing is miraculous, but they don't, aren't for it. Well, and you dig a, I mean, you dig a little deeper into it too. <laughs> dig a little deeper like you should have <laughs> with Midnight. Uh, you dig a little deeper into it too. And, and what you see is like, first of all, Jesus is, this is the seventh of the signs of John. And right, it's the pinnacle. It's been building to this point. And he's gone from healing people to raising a man from death, you know, and, and, and they are right in that if something doesn't change, there's going to be a tipping point where the people begin to follow this guy because at this point, he's doing things that are wild and unheard of, calling dead people to life. Hmm. I think it's crazy, too, that they are willing to kill their promised Messiah in order to keep it. So... In the same way, my next question is, what in our lives has the same potential to take our hearts and our allegiance away from Jesus? And what can we do to keep our hearts focused on him? I mean, unfortunately, unfortunately, I think it can sometimes just be the immediate and the immediate gratification and the familiar and the comfortable. Like sometimes I think we can tend to choose status quo, like you said, (laughs) over doing something that might feel radical for mm-hmm. Jesus or something that requires a lot of energy or effort on our part or, um, you know, anything like that. I think even though that is technically what they were attached to here too, it it appears like their allegiance is to their temple and their nation, even though it is to their own power and status. And so for me, I know that the thing that can can pull me is just plain old comfort sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's actually some uh, direct parallels too, in that we run just as much at risk of our temples and our nation getting our greater allegiance too, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and, and, and what I mean by that is, I mean, there's all the potential in the world for, for our national identity to be greater than our identity with Christ and to, to, tear away that allegiance and to really muddy some waters. But even like, let's take it into the the terms of the temples, right? We can even replace God with our church Mm -hmm. and our affiliation with church. And, uh, and we're all at risk of that, but I think us uh, as ministers, that this is what we do vocationally. I think we're at the greatest risk of that. I mean, you know, if I'm honest at times, I let my identity be tied up in our church because it's it represents my faith, but it's also literally my job and where I spend the vast majority of my time, but really my identity is in Christ, and this church is a blessing where I get to 
learn more about my faith in Christ and grow deeper in my faith in Christ, but it's about Christ. Well, and I think all adults run the risk of what we do uh, robbing being us of who identity. we are and being our identity. Yeah. And so I think for us, it's so much more subtle, but man, it's it's probably that much more prevalent. Hmm. I, I think what you said, Michelle, really resonates with me, the idea of change and trusting the Lord to direct you. And when something comes across that maybe you're not expecting, something comes across that God says, hey, I want you to do this. It's like, will you trust him in that moment? And here they're like, oh, we're doing something and God has clearly shown up and we're not willing to say yes mm-hmm. to what he's putting in front of us. We're going to hold on and do whatever we can, um, even the most extreme measures to keep what we've got the same. Hmm. One of the things that I think is particularly helpful about this conversation is I think in our minds when we think about things taking our attention, our allegiance away from Jesus, they're typically evil or sinful things, mm-hmm. right? And what I like about this conversation is we're talking about good things, you know, and Jesus is even clear on that. Like this week in my Bible reading in the Bible recap, uh, there were some verses where Jesus says, man, y'all, I came to divide and I am even here to divide families and families will divide on me. Man, that is true, right? There's families where uh, relationship to Jesus and how devoted you're going to be to him divides up the family unit, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and that's just kind of a wake-up call that even our families can be things that capture our attention, our affection, and our mm-hmm. allegiance away from mm-hmm. Jesus and recognizing the, the danger of that. Yeah, we talk all the time about how even good things, seemingly good things. Mm-hmm. I also I started thinking about that quote by C.S. Lewis where he says, We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And that quote has always resonated with me about just being comfortable with the familiar. I'll just stick right here, even Mm -hmm. though I'm missing out on what God has for Well, me. and that really gets at the follow-up question, what can we do to keep our hearts focused on Him? And that's, man, believe that Jesus is best mm-hmm. and not settle for less, yep. you know, and keep our, our so easily distracted temporal minds focused yeah. on Christ and the eternal. And Fix like our eyes on Jesus. And like we talked about a couple weeks ago, trust in all the things. Like if we want to grow closer to Jesus and learn more about who He is, just keep trusting Him. Well, if we continue reading in John, we get to the reason why this message is called You Know Nothing. Caiaphas, the high priest, speaks up as they're plotting to kill Jesus, and here's what he says. You know nothing at all, talking to everyone else. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. And he's saying this uh, to, to convince them. We need to kill this one man so that he dies and not our whole nation, but he unknowingly, and, and the John, the writer of the gospel will say, he did not understand that what he was saying was actually prophesying what Jesus was coming to do, that he would die on behalf of the nation. So, uh, how is Caiaphas's declaration actually a summary of the gospel and the very answer that they needed? There's just so much irony in this, right? And the mm-hmm. high priest making the statement and not realizing the truth of the statement that he's making, while on one level recognizes it's true. Like, man, if we don't take this guy out, our fears are going to be realized that we're going to lose our temple and our nation. The Romans are going to come in and take over because they're going to be threatened by his power and his popularity. 
but it is a gospel statement in that the truth is that this one man has been sent to die as mm-hmm. a sacrifice for the nation, and his sacrifice is actually a spiritual atoning, like as the 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 true and better you know lamb that that will take care of all the sins of those who believe in him in faith. Caiaphas doesn't catch that; he's just thinking in the in the immediate of man, this guy's popularity is on the rise. If we don't take him out of the scene, uh, we're in trouble. You know what it makes me wonder? It makes me wonder when John caught that, because this is you know John's account of what happened and he is the one who adds commentary about how Caiaphas didn't even realize that what Mm -hmm. he's actually doing is prophesying about how yeah this is exactly what's happening and not just for the Jewish nation that you are so you know saying that you're concerned about when really it's about power and status but for all the scattered children of God is the way the NIV puts it and so it makes me wonder if you know, John knew that that was what Caiaphas had said. And then maybe even not until after Jesus's death and resurrection, maybe that was when John was like, oh, wow. Okay, that was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) See what you did there, big guy. (laughs) (laughs) I do think that's interesting too. Like uh, clearly in this man, in their planning to kill and try to end Jesus and his ministry, they are fulfilling what God knew he was already going to do. And I also was reading Genesis 50, verse 20, and, and this is what Joseph said. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And the quick story there is just that what people intended to do to harm Joseph, God used to bring good um, to many, many people. And so my question is, what do these two passages teach us about God's plan in relation to the plans of people? I think it shows us his divine control, you know, mm-hmm. it shows us his sovereignty over even our situations. Um, but at the same time, like it's this picture of the, the both andness of human freedom and our ability to choose and divine sovereignty and his ability to control and uh, man, we've been having this conversation for weeks as we've been talking about these kinds of things. And I just don't know that we can talk about it too much because we try to make it either or. Either God is in control and he's orchestrating all these events or people are in control and they're choosing these things. And it's this both and where, you know, these things are happening simultaneously in God's, you know, planning and foreknowledge, but also in people's choosing and actions and, and, and not to, you know, make these dark contrasts where it's one or the other, but really to live in this idea that it can be both and. I think it's a huge encouragement to me too in the midst like man God really is working all things together and in ways that we talked about last week his ways are higher than our ways Mm -hmm. and his thoughts than our thoughts and I just think it's another good reminder that as we look at Jesus's life people are plotting and making their own plans but God's plan's not changing Mm -hmm. and he's not up there wringing his hands you know Uh he's not worried he's not concerned his plans will come to be Mm. yeah His promises are true. And I think what makes it even more amazing um, is when I think about how this plan had been set in motion from the beginning, you know, when we go back and read the Old Testament and see all of those threads and just how this tapestry of redemption has been being woven for all of time. And, man, that's something only God can do, you know? (laughs) Tapestry? Tapestry. Tapestry, Tapestry. yeah. Tapestry (laughs) of redemption. It's beautiful, Michelle. Thank you. (laughs) Well, here's what's crazy. 
Uh, we talked about a little of this uh, last week. After experiencing the miracle of resurrection, Lazarus has become well-known throughout the region. Yet, there are a growing number of people who wish to kill him because of the new life he has received. We said, wouldn't it be bad to just to come back, first of all, from <laughs> heaven, die again, but also, hey, welcome back. People want you People dead. People hate you now. <laughs> People hate getting you. killed for getting raised. That actually uh, came up in our small group. Oh, really? Like on its own. Like people didn't know that we had talked about that. And it was like, man, Lazarus is up there in heaven. And then somebody's like, hey, Lazarus, Jesus wants you. <laughs> Sucked right out of heaven. Oh, poor guy. Uh, and yeah, now everybody wants you dead. Uh, and I think his ex- very existence is proof of Jesus's power. The fact that he's walking around is proof of what Jesus is capable of doing. And sometimes, and I think this is in a similar way, when we step over the line of faith and we experience new life and life change, we too can be met with opposition or aversion instead of support in those moments. So, um, you know, I have us reading that moment where they're plotting to kill Lazarus now, but I also wanted to read uh, a few verses out of John 15, and I just want us to reflect on these and then talk about them a little bit, but I want to read to you what Jesus said. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of it. This is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. So, after hearing Jesus' words, what do they make you feel? And what do they tell you about what following him will and could be like? I think they make me feel prepared. You know, Hmm. like we are like Lazarus in that regard. He was raised physically from death to life. We're raised spiritually from death to life. And Lazarus is like, he's mysterious now and he's misunderstood. And, uh, and I think that that should prepare us to be the same. Like as we are transformed and changed, we're not going to look like this world anymore. We're not going to have the same loves and desires and goals and passions as this world. We're going to be transformed and changed and we're going to be aliens in this world and in this culture. And so we should be prepared to be misunderstood and to be a little bit mysterious to the world around us as we demonstrate the power of God to bring about transformation. Mm -hmm. It brings me back to the identity thing. Actually, like he says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And if the world hates me because of Jesus, then it's because my identity is that I'm his. Hmm. And so there's something so um, confidence giving about that and, and just secure about that, that even if I'm persecuted, even if people reject me, that that's happening because of who I belong to. Mm. And I belong to him because I know he's the only one to belong to. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it, it also should prepare us to live in a tension, right? We, I mean, we, we're building a church or continuing to build a church for the unchurched here where people who are lost and who don't have the faith we've found in Christ can come and ask real questions and find a place that's safe to have real concerns, real doubts, and really be seeking truth. Um, and so there's this tension that we live in where we recognize we're going to be aliens in this world, but we also don't want to be odd for God, mm-hmm. you know? Like we want to help people and disciple people and grow into a way that we know how to exercise these passions and affections for Christ 
in a way that stands out, Mm -hmm. but in a way that's winsome and compelling and draws people into the truth and into the gospel, not in a way that's, you know, repulsive and off-putting. Puts up even more Mm -hmm. barriers. It makes me feel prepared, like you said, like, hey, don't be surprised. Jesus spoke directly to it. Don't be surprised when this happens. And so, prepare myself. But also, I feel some sense of comfort, the fact that Jesus did speak to it and said, they're hating you because they hated me first. And they're hating you because of what I have done. And like you said, Michelle, your identity is different now. And like you said earlier, Randy, you said Jesus spoke to the idea of even families may be divided. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking about people who their world is upended because of their faith. And, you know, there are some divisions now or there's some misunderstandings or people who no longer quite understand why your life is so different and just man just remember jesus knows he understands and he spoke directly to it and so mm-hmm. you, you you're in the right place as you try to navigate that well and as we are misunderstood and mysterious to the world like don't let that elicit elicit frustration and anger mm-hmm. from you but instead uh compassion mm-hmm. you know like don't let it drive you into being bitter and they just don't get me they don't get it they don't get jesus no, no, no let's be compassionate and let's let's be you know more and more tender-hearted towards the people mm-hmm. that persecute us and don't understand us I think it's another passage that just kind of points to what has seemed to be a running theme the last several weeks in John, that um, the the promise isn't of easy, you know, the promise is of belonging to him in his presence. And that's just something I know I have to constantly mm-hmm. preach to myself. I'll tell you another tension that it brings out of me, and that's this, the, the tension in parenting, right? Because we want for our kids to find acceptance. We want for our kids to fit in. We want for them to be healthy and grow and have relationships, especially in different phases of school. And, uh, and it's like, man, feeling that tension of, on the one hand, we want them to be accepted, but on the other right. hand, we want them to be alien, yeah. you know, and really just trying to, to navigate that in a way that we really disciple our kids well yeah. and help them recognize what it looks like. We, to... we don't want them to do whatever it takes to be accepted. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we've all f- probably faced our fair share of criticism or hardship or whatever based on following Jesus, but I've not had a group of people out trying to kill me like last year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, at least I'm not there. Not yet. My last question is really just a thought for us to think about and and share a little bit. As we've been walking through the Gospel of John these last few weeks, just what is something in these discussions that you learned for the first time or has just been a good reminder for you? I mean, we're just doing what the text does, right, as you walk through the book of the Bible. But, man, it's felt like these last few weeks have been like a a mini-series on dealing with suffering and pain and finding the presence of God in our struggle. And uh, again, I mean, we didn't really plan it out that way, but it's, it's been rich. And the conversation in small group has been really deep. You know, like I've been finding the the folks in my group, they're willing to really share some hurts. And so I I think the great reminder for me is this, that like, man, don't walk alone in this stuff, but community Mm -hmm. is so valuable and sharing those hurts and pains and together looking for the presence and promise of God in those uh, is a powerful thing, and, and God has gifted us with community, and we just don't want to be isolated on those things. Mm-hmm. And for that, for this to follow that isolation series that we kicked off the fall yeah. with, uh, it's just been really, really rich and meaningful. And I'd love to say we're smart enough that we put all that together, but <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> it's not true. Yeah, I think 
something that I've been doing for the first time reading through John is really taking note of his I am statements and not just who he's saying he is and what he's saying he's here to do, but even thinking about the need that he's answering in those I am statements. And one of the ones that stands out to me was when he called himself the gate, but then he also called himself the shepherd. And I think Randy preached that one. And the phrase was that we come to him through him. Like he is where we're coming to belong. You know, he is the one that we're putting our faith and trust in. But the only way we can have that relationship is through him. Mm -hmm. And that it's, that's just, it's something that I don't know. I think I had heard that before, but in the context of all of John, like just thinking about how this was landing at the time mm-hmm. in light of other things, it's been really good looking at those statements. Mm. What about for you? What was your big learning or leaning? I think it's just been a really good reminder these last few weeks, the idea of the comfort that can come, even in the midst of the heart from being with Jesus. And I think about, you know, walking with difficult, through the difficult things with some of my closest friends. Mm-hmm. Um, just the fact that Jesus wept with them, even though he knew what he was about to do, there is such a compassion that is just present there. Even he didn't say, just watch this. He's like, I'm going to meet you in your grief, even though I know what's about to happen. Um, and then even here, as we talk, as I, as, as we talk about Jesus's words, don't be surprised if the world hates you. It's coming. It's because of me that they hate you. But even the fact that I can have such comfort knowing God's plans remain and God works all things together for his good, even when I don't understand. And so even the personal comfort of when I don't understand, when I don't quite see the full picture, just, man, I'm glad he does. Well, and also, like, don't be a Caiaphas, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't want to be used by God in spite of me, <laughs> in spite of that I'm working against God. Yeah. Like, I want to be used by God and have the dude, the, the delight and the joy mm-hmm. of, of being in it for the right reasons. Yeah. And that guy's famous for getting it so wrong it was kind of right. Don't be a Caiaphas, man. <laughs> He's going to use you. Uh, maybe in spite of you. pig, whatever that thing is that Greg says sometimes. <laughs> you know, Finds an acorn? <laughs> No, that's even a. That's a hamster, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Even a blind pig pig can find that hamster just a few inches under the dirt. (laughs) Inches? You said feet. I felt like feet. A plastic. (laughs) The ground is hard. We're in a drought. (laughs) Yeah. I was in my work clothes. No, anyways. He's. Yeah, right. Because he's. I mean, I'm not going to go digging in jeans. In a hoodie. Oh, man. Yeah, he lives. <laughs> no, midnight does yeah, not. Yeah, midnight does not live. But to my kids, he's in the lake somewhere. Don't tell the Castillo kids <laughs> yeah. that midnight was hog food. I think they've put it together. Well, uh, thanks so much for listening. And we uh, have enjoyed, you know, having these conversations as we walk through the Gospel of John. And we hope you have been not only getting to listen to us talk about it, but also have gotten an opportunity to sit across other people and have these discussions as well. And uh, wow. So thanks so much. And uh, we'll catch you next week.